Amen. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you um, to the worship band as well, because that song is like, um, I did a quiz once, and it was like, if there was one song you could sing for a thousand years and not get tired of it, it would be that. Um, just because, uh, I'm sure I'd get tired of the melody eventually, but, the, but just because the, the, the heart behind it is the purest heart of worship that I've ever encountered, actually, I think, in a worship song. I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've made it, um, and it's actually all about you, Jesus. Uh, brilliant. Um, I'm reading tonight from Acts 16. If you've got a Bible or an app, then feel free to open that at Acts 16. I'm going to read it. Um, I'm reading from the message because I sometimes find that's a bit easier for me to understand. So this is um, Acts Acts 16. I think I will start from... uh, 22. Let's start at 22. Acts 16, 22. Uh, Just for context, um, Paul and Silas are two missionaries who have been uh, called to a place called Macedonia, and they are uh, there to preach the good news, preach the gospel, the news that uh, that Jesus is risen and that we can all be saved. Uh, And in so doing, they've upset some of the local uh, judges, some of the local businessmen, and they've, consequently, this this is what happens from 22. The judges went along with the mob. They had Paul and Silas's clothes ripped off and ordered a public beating. After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. And he did just that, threw them into maximum security cell in the jail and clamped leg irons on them. Along along about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing robust hymns to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. And then, without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, and all the prisoners were loose. Startled from his sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring that he was as good as dead anyway when Paul stepped in. Don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody has run away. The jailer got a torch and he ran outside, badly shaken. Ran inside, badly shaken. He collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He he led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? And they said, put your entire trust in the master Jesus, and then you'll live as you were meant to live, and everyone in your house is included. Uh, It goes on uh, to talk about the fact that the judges of the town sort of come down to the jail in the end and say, we're really sorry, could you please come out of jail now and then just leave our town, that would be fantastic, thank you, because they're causing too much trouble, and they keep breaking our prisons when we put them in them. And uh, I think I'm going to get to the point straight away with this sermon. I'm going to sort of do my main point right now, so you can listen for five minutes and then switch off if you want to. But the main point I'll just, summar- I'll just tell you now. Uh, we often look at this passage and we might think, oh no, Paul and Silas have been called to the Macedonians to preach the gospel. And they've been halted in their primary calling. They've been stopped and waylaid. They've been put in prison and they can't live out the calling that Jesus has called them to live out. And I'm just going to say it really simply. Paul and Silas being put in prison was not a waylay of their primary calling. But it actually gave them an opportunity to invest even more into their primary calling. 
we can often think in the same way that when we go through hardship and suffering, when we're struck with ill health, uh, when a relationship goes poorly or uh, another type of pain occurs in our lives, uh, we can think, oh no, well, I was once being able to serve the Lord. I was once able to go out and just do the things that the Lord has called me to do. But now, now I can't. Now I'm stuck. Now I'm handicapped in some way. If only the Lord would give this thing back, back to me or if the Lord would heal me or if the Lord would make the pain go away, then actually I could serve him. And we often think this way. And so you might ask the question, why on earth do we find Paul and Silas sitting in this prison singing? Because they're not singing the blues. They're actually singing songs of victory. It says robust spiritual songs. Why are they worshipping? Why are they sitting in prison and proclaiming the greatness of God? Paul and Silas understood that their primary calling was never to take the gospel to the Macedonians. An important calling, yes, one that the Lord had told them and commanded them to do, but their primary calling had and always will be and always was to be first and foremost foremost sons of the Father. If my voice was taken away, if I lost a couple of fingers on my left hand, uh, you might say, oh, Stephen can't lead worship anymore. And uh, we would probably save a lot of time. No, no. Stephen can't lead worship anymore. You might say my primary call has been taken away, but you'd be wrong because the truth is my primary calling always would be, no matter what, no matter if I could lead worship or not, to be a son of the Father. You might wonder also why we spend so much time singing in church. Why do we spend so much time? It's a lot of time, often. Often it's more than half of the service. Here it certainly is more than half of the service we spend singing. They might, might think there are better things to do. There might be strategies we could come up with together. We could talk about how we communicate the gospel relevantly to the people around us. Or, or, uh, or we could counsel one another and help each other through difficult emotional problems, financial problems, give each other real practical help, all really good things to do. But for, from the scriptures, from the commandments, and for me, I sometimes have to actively reject The concept of doing something equaling success. The concept of achieving something in order to remember my primary calling, which is laid out in those first two commandments. To relate to my Father in heaven, to to relate to the people around me and how much more to relate to my Father in heaven. That's why we spend the time worshipping. We're simply doing that. We're living it out. The first two commandments are this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul all of your strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as you love yourself. In living those out, we worship the Lord and we choose to do that really intentionally, really intentionally. We sing because we are engaging with this Father God, learning to be just children in the arms of a father. It's actually demonstrated for us time and again in Scripture, this principle. Um, Probably most notably in John 12, you will probably may have heard the story of the, uh, the lady who breaks the jar of perfume at the feet of Jesus. It turns out that this perfume is worth about 25,000 pounds in today's money, and she literally just sort of splits it open and pours it all out over his feet. Um, you might think, understandably, some of the disciples are a bit 
off-put by that. It would be like me sort of having a stack of 25,000 pounds and then just sort of saying, we will start worship today with a sacrifice. We worship you, Lord. And then that would just be the start of our worship set. 25,000 pounds up in smoke. And of course, it doesn't make sense to us. Humanly, it doesn't make sense to us. But the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't shout out, complain, or cry out. He accepts it. And his actual response, what are his actual words? Everywhere, this is his response, when the, when the, when the disciples sort of say, what is she doing? Everywhere the gospel is, gonna, is preached, this woman's story will be told. This woman's story will be told. Again and again in scripture, there are honestly so many, numerous examples I can give you, but that's the most significant, I think, the most poignant. Pouring out praises to the Lord is more significant than achieving. Our primary purpose is to pour out praises. Our primary purpose is to relate to this Father in heaven. And our service of him, which is so important, must flow from that. And we have to get that order right. Relate to your Father in heaven. Be a child in his arms first. And then as we do that, we are called to service of him. The primary calling, not just of us, but it's all all creation as well. Angels, animals, and people. Firstly, to worship the Lord, to relate to him, to know him, spend time in the presence of the Father. And that's actually one of the best summaries for the times of worship we spend here. Relate to him, to know him, spend time with the Father. That's why we spend so much, so much time singing in these services. And that is enough. And it's important to remember that that is enough, to learn that that is enough. Uh, I heard a story of a... Um, a hospital chaplain, obviously a vicar, uh, who was um, uh, ministering. He was, it was in the 1940s. And he, uh, he went into his you know, hospital for the first time. And there was a lady in a bed. And he, he records, it's all written down in a, in a journal of his. It, he sort of uh, records that he was physically repulsed by, by, the, by the appearance of this lady. I mean, she, she, was, um, she had just suffered numerous horrific diseases that had left her face sort of very, very sunken and mangled and her, her lips sort of ended about where her chin was so she sort of drooled constantly and, and she couldn't really speak and, and so he went up to her and, uh, and gave her a flower and, uh, and he started talking to her and he found that she was actually mentally very much there, very much present, very much aware of what was happening uh, and uh, her name was Mabel and uh, over the time, over the weeks that he was ministering there, they became friends. And, uh, and he asked one week, he said, Mabel, because he'd found out that she had been there for 25 years in this hospital bed. 25 years. I can't even fathom two months in a hospital bed on my back. She'd been there for 25 years just in this bed. And he said, Mabel, what do you do lying here in your bed for these 25 years? What do you do? And her response was, in quotes, I worship my Jesus. And he records in his journal, to his surprise, she starts to sing. She starts singing an old hymn that just went, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day, and without him I fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. And he wrote this about it. Seconds ticked and minutes crawled 
and so did months and years of pain. And this lady was there singing hymns. Why? Because she knew the main reason that we are here is to be with him, to live in Christ. Whatever prison of suffering or pain we might be in can be addiction, a health issue, a relational issue, anything. It cannot chain you tightly enough. It cannot bind you so completely or overcome you so fully that it holds you back from your main purpose, your main reason for being, to be his child and enjoy him forever. Whatever prison you're in, no matter how tight you might be bound, it cannot hold you back from your main reason for being, to be his child and to enjoy him forever. I'm, uh, I'm going to sort of finish the sermon there. I'll take a few minutes now to, to give you a few tips <laughs> on, on some worship things, but, but that's, that's the, the long and the short of it. There are lists and lists of things. There are sermons and sermons to be preached on what actually begins to happen as we begin to worship our Father in heaven and his presence comes and that as he begins to inhabit our praises as it says in scripture and as we worship in his presence, mighty and magical and wonderful things begin to happen. Uh, But there is no time for that right now. Instead, I just want to give you three things to, to hopefully just help you uh, if you struggle to enter into the Lord's presence as we worship, to encounter him fully as we worship. Um, I w- I'll start by just saying a father in heaven never wants, us to be a, never wants us to worship out of a sense of duty. That's never what a father wants his children to do, to come and spend time with him because they feel like they have to, because they feel like they're earning an inheritance from him. Uh, it's always out of a, a sense of genuine love that we should come to this place of worship. And so hopefully just three things that might help us get there uh, if you do struggle, as I do and as we all do, I'm sure. Firstly, be honest. Be really honest when it comes to worship. And as we come to the start, particularly at the start of worship, it can be so awkward, those first couple of songs. Really awkward. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes... You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't want you to sing if it'll distract you from encountering your father, you know. So whatever you need to do, and one of the things that I often do is I don't sing for up to the first two songs. I, I often don't sing for the first one. It's because I'll just be, allow myself to be, and then sort of say, okay, honestly, Lord, I think this is where I'm at. Or actually, Lord, I'm struggling to enter in because... I've identified something that I just feel really guilty about. Uh, or, Lord, I, I just feel like, you know, I promised you and I promised myself that I'd be spending time in Scripture every day this year, and I've done less than a quarter of that. And I feel really guilty about it, and I'm sorry, and I don't want even, can't even worship you right now. Be honest. Be honest. Because it's like the Lord has x-ray vision anyway. So he already knows. So you might as well just tell him. Uh, humans have been doing that from the start, covering up because they're afraid and ashamed from the Lord. So the first thing we, we, are, we are is, is, is honest. Lord, this is where I'm at. Uh, 
It says in Romans uh, 5.10, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. So just be sure to know that no matter how far you've gone, or no matter, even if there's a part of your life where you've literally been an enemy of God, in some senses of the word, even there, that's the point where Christ chooses to die for us. That's the point where he chooses to reveal his love to us at the, at the maximum. So honesty, if we're not honest and we try and hide, it's actually kind of rejecting what the Lord's already done for us. It's kind of rejecting what he's done on the cross. It's rejecting the fact that he's already, if you're a Christian, called you a child, called you a son or a daughter. So we accept that and we're honest, number one. Second one, be still. Be still. Uh, is that amazing verse, be still and know that I am God. And that We're really not very good at being still. I'm not very good at being still. When was the last time you were on a train platform waiting for a train to arrive, on a deserted train platform waiting for a train to arrive, and you didn't get your phone out or didn't put an earphone in and listen to something? When was the last time you just sat in silence and waited for your train to come for 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour? They're probably on strike, so it's probably an hour and a half. It's amazing what your brain begins to throw up when you're in silence and, and, and quiet and not distracted by something. It can really tell you what, you, what your thought, thoughts start popping up in your head. Okay, gosh, I, well, sometimes, I, I often, often, more times than not, I find I'm really worried about that. And it pops up in my head and I start thinking about, it. okay, it's good to know that where my brain's actually at when I'm not distracted is really worried or re really stressed. But very occasionally, um, I'll sit in silence and suddenly I'll start worshipping. Just what my brain's doing in the background. I'll just, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. I love the king and the king loves me and I love the king and the king loves me. And it's just, I just find it there going around in my head. But to be in silence, to be not distracted, to be in solitude is to work out actually where you're at. And then so often, so often it's in that silence that the voice of the Lord comes. That still, small voice. Why is it a still, small voice? Why is the Lord's voice a still, small voice? Because I tell you, the Lord shouts and he roars at his enemies, but he really whispers to his friends. He really whispers to his friends and he whisper, whispers to his children because he's always interested in the relationship, the intimacy, the closeness. If the Lord's been screaming at you, it's probably because you're not close enough to hear his whisper. That's so often when the voice of the Lord breaks through. So be still. Find time when you're just still. And the third one is, once you've... If and when, when you find the way that you encounter the presence of God, you find the way that you worship, keep going, keep trying, keep pressing in, because it is so important to practice that over and over. The things you do over and over, you get really good at, and it is so worth getting really, really good at finding the Lord and hearing the Lord's voice. I tell, you that, I tell you that it's good and I tell you that it's worth it, not just because of my experience, but actually because I've seen people, um, particularly older people who have lived just leaning on the Lord, leaning on the Lord, leaning on the voice of the Spirit constantly again and again. They reach for the, the Lord like most of us reach for our phones. Again and again, they reach. That's a beautiful thing. And uh, because of that, 
They carry something really precious, uh, and it pours out of them wherever they go. Uh, be honest. Be still. And then keep going once you find the way. Not just, sometimes you listen to a worship song and it's just, oh, I've really encountered the Lord in this worship song. And we listen to it for a week because we think it's the key to encountering the Lord. And by the end of the week, you're like, oh, there's no power in this song anymore. But it's just that the Lord has, of course, he's spoken. That's so amazing and so important. But now we've got to hear his voice afresh, hear his voice anew. This is the voice of the Lord that we're practicing hearing. Uh, in Scripture, when you read your, read, read your Bible, you might read a passage and it's like, ah! Oh! And then you read it every day for a week. You promise yourself, I'm going to read this every day for a week because the power in this passage is incredible. And then a week later, oh, okay, yeah, it's, it's nice. And the, the Lord is trying to move on and tell you something else. So practice hearing the voice of the Lord. Uh, it's the most key, key thing. Uh, and I'm going to finish there. I'll, fin- I'll just say, I had a couple of pictures before before I preached, um, or actually this week. Um, one was this. One was Christ- a sense that there are Christians, part of this church some, 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 sometimes, um, particularly in Chiswick, Acton, Ealing, um, who are actively walking around like that, sort of, okay, yeah, not me, Lord. Not me, Lord. Thank you. Really aware that the Lord's good, very happy to come to church and sing, you're so good, Lord, but also so afraid of what the Lord might ask them to do, um, which isn't a bad place to be because it can be really scary, but also I think the Lord is asking us to begin to trust him. If the Lord's calling you to something really scary, it means that he's going to equip you to do the thing that's really scary. He's going to empower you by the Spirit to do something really scary, uh, and that's absolutely fine, and that's actually what we as a body support, support each other in. So if that's you and that resonates with you, just a sort of sense of, yes, I, I really do love you, Lord. Now just please don't call me to blooming anything. Uh, then, uh, then I'd love to pray for you afterwards. Actually, we'll, we'll pray for you, I think, on that side. That'll be easier. Um, so if that really resonates with you, just come, just come and be prayed for. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Uh, and the second one was um, those who as I've been speaking, maybe, just feel like, oh, I don't think I've ever really worshipped like that. I don't think I get what this guy's talking about when he talks about intimacy and he talks about relationship with the Father. You know, I've come to church sort of because people told me to come to church and the Lord does deserve it of my worship. Totally true. But because it's my duty to come and sing these songs and worship him. And I don't get what he's talking about. What, what does he mean when he says he's, he worships and and, and there's intimacy, and he's like in the arms of a father. So if that's you, and you've never experienced that kind of worship, then I really would love to pray for you as well, because that is just something that I think the Lord wants to bless us with, really bless us with. Number one priority, your primary calling is to be a child of the Father. So if you just want that affirmed in your head, and also the Spirit to be poured out in your heart, then I'm gonna, I'll pray for that for you over there as well, after this, when the band comes up. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, yeah, can the band come up and then um, I'll just pray and then we'll, um, we can start that. These worship times, we really can encounter the Lord and that's, that's the main purpose of them. The main purpose of them is for you to encounter the Lord however you need. You don't have to sing if you don't want to sing, if it distracts you. Um, the reason we have stillness in the worship is not because we've forgotten what song comes next. It's actually because often it's in that stillness that the voice of the Lord begins to come through and be heard.